Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. On our show today, Ty Kersley reports on Trans Day of Remembrance and the powerful, timely, and historic Trans Day of Remembrance event Gays Against Guns produced at the Stonewall Inn in the aftermath of the Club Q shooting in Colorado Springs. We bring you post-election analysis from Greg Jackson of Community Justice Action Fund, who lays out possibilities and strategies for legislative action to reduce violence. And we share commentary from Professor Carol Anderson, author of the second Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America, on the context of gun violence and how it has impacted our elections. An extended interview with Professor Anderson and Radio Gag regular J.W. Walker will be broadcast tonight, 1129 at 8 p.m. on Out FM on WBAI 99.5 FM. And I'm Ty Kersley with our Trans Day of Remembrance report. For the last several years... GAG has had a vigil on the Trans Day of Remembrance. This would be November 20th. We use our human beings, their silent protesters, to honor the trans lives lost to gun violence. And so much has changed in the last several years with how trans lives and deaths are reported now. Everytown released a study that, since 2017, reported trans homicides went up by 93%. Now, part of this is because of better cooperation with police and journalists reporting these deaths properly and respectfully. But this is a crisis. And this year, I wanted to try to visualize the loss of these lives. So we planned a vigil at Stonewall Inn and an indoor memorial of placards that we use um, that we've had for over the last five years. So these placards with the faces of a victim of gun violence and a short bio. Uh, we, we hung dozens of these plus memorial on the second floor and had video and speakers from the community. Now, of course, this was planned before the shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs. So the day of our vigil had press and speakers and actually the governor's office declared all of November 2022 as Trans Awareness Month. And more people were there and able to pay tribute. This is all before we even learned the names of the victims. Now, Radio Gag will release a special podcast on Trans Day of Remembrance and the shooting at Club Q. This is our most vulnerable and under, our most vulnerable are under attack, and we have to change how we discuss the trans community. So they cannot be dismissed and we cannot tolerate the political attacks from the GOP and their inciting hate speech towards everything from performers to trans youth. Yeah. Ty, it was a fantastic event. It was so moving and powerful. And it just underscores the relentless march of violent shootings in America and the fact that we need to be working every day to end gun violence and all of these things came together in a moment that was really, really powerful, felt in the media and in communities all over the United States. So thank you so much for your work on that. No, and thank you for volunteering. We um, I, we need to do something different. Uh, we do the same thing 
uh, every year, but I had to do a little bit more. Um, and, and other things are, are coming up around the city, too, to do. We um, at Club Cummings on the 30th, which is tomorrow night at 8.30, we have two gays and one mic, and the proceeds of that show will benefit the Club Q survivors and victims' families. So you can look up information on that. And, of course, we have our D.C. trip. This is December 7th. We will have the National Vigil, and we are looking for more human beings, HBs, these are the silent protesters, that will represent someone killed by gun violence in the nation's capital on the day of the National Vigil. And you can email gagsignup at gmail.com for more information. Yeah, and if you're curious about becoming an HB and what that means, it means that you stand for someone who was killed by gun violence. You literally stand. You're dressed in white. You're veiled. You're carrying a placard with that person's picture, a little bit of their life and it's a profound experience. You can actually feel that you are being present for a person who has lost their voice and their life to gun violence. So if you can join us in D.C. for that um, event on December 7th, please do. And if you would like to hop on the GAG bus and be an HB, you go to GAG, sign up at gmail.com. That's G-A-G. Sign up at gmail.com. Join us December 7th. You won't regret it. So, guess what? You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show, on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI. We thank you for listening at this special time. It's Giving Tuesday. We're here every Tuesday at 2.30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement <laughs> News And if you miss a show, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. So, seeing as how it's Giving Tuesday, today I went to the website and I re-upped. So here is what you're going to do. I went to WBAI.org. I scrolled all the way down to the blue button that says BAI Buddy. I clicked on the blue button. I put in my favorite show, Radio Gag. And gosh, Out FM is right behind us, right? Uh, Out FM is tonight at 8. And uh, yeah, and I put in the amount that I wanted to pledge uh, monthly. And it was very, very simple, my, my uh, credit card information. So um, you can do that. You can uh, call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. You can go to GIV, numeral 2, WBAI.org, and there you will find amazing premiums. And depending on how much you want to donate, uh, you can get a thank you gift for your donation. So we really appreciate it. Please do one of those things today. Don't let Giving Tuesday get away from you. Thank you. Next, we have some post-election analysis from the weekly gun violence prevention roundtable that meets to network and strategize on promoting policies and legislation to reduce gun violence. Here's Greg Jackson of Community Justice to keep it real for us. Let's have a listen. 
Good afternoon, listeners. We are so excited to be here today with Greg Jackson. Greg is the executive director of Community Justice Action Fund, and he's going to tell us more about that. Greg is also a gun violence survivor, and we're fortunate to have Ty Kersley here, too. I'm Sarah Lilly, and we're going to take it away. Greg, please uh, welcome to the show. And tell us guy. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be here and um, and just thank you for all your work and, and for everyone who's tuning in for just um, just for your concern about an issue that that is really so harmful and so devastating for so many people. So um, just really appreciate the time. Thank you. Greg, please tell us more about the work of the CJAF, the Community Justice Action Fund. Yeah. Um, so y'all can just everybody can follow us just community justice for sure. I know it's a lot a mouthful to say all that. Uh, but we were founded in 2016, uh, right after the Charleston, South Carolina shooting. Um, and frankly, we were created because we saw that there was a huge issue in the gun violence movement, that the the policy, the media coverage, um, the advocacy, uh, and, and really the storytelling around gun violence was being extremely dominated by mass shootings um, and was overlooking um, the communities that were paying the largest price of gun violence. Um, you know, in America, uh, black and brown communities, we make up 80%, over 80% of the gun-related homicides in this country. Um, and in the black community specifically, this is the number one cause of premature death for black men and the number two cause of premature death for black women, as well as the number one premature cause of death for all youth, uh, but especially uh, black and brown youth. And so um, we were created to really um, shine a light on this crisis specifically um, and start to organize communities that have been impacted, but we're not getting the same level of attention or support as some of the more higher profile moments uh, of, or higher profile incidents. Um, and we also are, have been working pretty aggressively to start to shift the narrative to make sure that the violence that's happening in our communities is being seen for what it is. Um, right now, it's the, the violence in our communities is being ultra criminalized um, and every incident in our communities is, is being seen from a criminal lens. Um, I'm sure if you look at the five o'clock news and you hear about a shooting, you will see yellow tape and police cars, um, but you rarely see the stories of, of the people who were lost, um, why the, the, the shooting happened. It's always kind of boxed into uh, some form of criminal act connected to criminal activity when statistically that doesn't stand true. Um, in fact, in Black communities, only 30% of gun-related homicides are connected to another felony crime. And so um, a lot of our narrative work is really to just frankly humanize um, the crisis of gun violence in our communities. Absolutely. That's one of our missions, too. Just to tell an individual story of a loss tends to bring in more empathy than a statistic of how many people are killed a year, even though the last yeah. few years everything has been on the rise. From a gun violence prevention perspective, what was your feelings about the 22 midterms? Yeah, I, I think that this, the midterm elections had some highs and lows. You know, we there, there wasn't this big red wave that I think everyone anticipated. But we also saw from our perspective, there wasn't this big backlash against champions of gun violence prevention that was being rumored in the media. Um, and we saw some of our biggest champions, um, folks like Stephen Horsford, uh, Lucy McBath, um, and even Karen Bass, who who just won mayor, all of them squeaked out very competitive and very tough races 
um, despite being major champions and very vocal and public fighters for um, gun violence prevention efforts. So we're really inspired by that. We also saw that there were there are new champions um, and candidates that ran primarily on gun violence that won this year. Uh, people like Maxwell Frost in Florida or Greg Kazar in Texas, people who have been very vocal and, and, and upfront about this. And we saw that this is a winning issue um, for our advocates and champions. Um, lastly, we were excited that we protected the Senate uh, and we were able to, to, to keep that uh, together. And I think what's also pretty interesting is that, you know, even the makeup of the Republican Party is um, a little bit all over the place right now. Um, and we're seeing some moderates who have uh, par partnered with us on previous uh, initiatives um, survive the midterms. And now there are new folks who are very passionate about addressing violent crime, but don't quite have a polished perspective on how to do that. So we do think that there's some opportunity, um, even on, on that side of the aisle, to educate people on violence prevention strategies, what this looks like beyond just the typical gun control measures, um, but what does the resources in mental health, resources in communities that have been neglected, resources in violence intervention, what does that look like? And, and, and why is that something that even some of the more far right candidates should support? Yeah, you definitely named some of the new superstars uh, that are mm -hmm. on the rise. Yeah, you know, and I wanted to say, Greg, that uh, from my perspective here in Brooklyn, New York, uh, I'm kind of disappointed in the Democratic machine, which I, I would say the last 10, 15 years for me have been really getting educated and getting engaged. And here I see that really when we're talking with our feet on the ground, um, our neighbors in Bay Ridge, for example, uh, reelected uh, Nicole Maliotakis, and uh, there was really every reason to elect Max Rose, except that maybe he wasn't the most attractive candidate that progressives could really jump behind. But I feel like the Democratic machine was missing in action here. Um, upstate with some important races and we see the result if we had kept four seats we would also have the um, majority in the house uh, can you share a little bit about that yeah I mean I think that, I think that where we've where well I don't know I think this is a, a tough year because historically you know the party of the president always loses you know that first midterms out so Democrat or Republican we were kind of fighting against uh, against the current, if you will. Um, and I think this is one of the, the best performances we've had in 40 years, you know, where we've lost. We've definitely lost some great folks, um, but we won in areas, too. You know, in Pennsylvania, we gained the House for the first time uh, for Democrats. In Minnesota, we have all three levels, um, governor, House and Senate, all in all Democratic controlled, I believe, for the first time in history. Um We've seen, you know, women leading uh, in certain races for the first time. Uh, again, Karen Bass, who's a big partner of ours, the first female mayor of Los Angeles. And so I don't know. I think it's a mixed bag. Um, I think what is encouraging is that the national climate, um, I think the national climate kind of stayed neutral for a lot of candidates and allow candidates to really shine locally. And I think that's where certain, especially at the House and Senate level, um, frankly, where there were better candidates, um, they were able to pull off the race. Um, whereas in 2010, for example, it didn't matter how great you were, 
you were going to get wiped out, you know? Um, and so I, I think that's encouraging. I think the party can do more. Um, but I also feel like the party is learning and trying to catch up with the activism of, of especially in the gun violence space. I mean, we're way ahead of them as far as the solutions we're pushing, the messaging that we're pushing. Um, I think what's also, I think something to, to recognize though, is that there's a lot of gun violence groups that are now, we're building our own electoral power. Um, I know with community justice, we have a campaign we run called Elect Justice. And we specifically fought to turn out black and brown voters in neighborhoods that were impacted by gun violence. And we did that in Georgia. We did it in Las Vegas. We did it in Los Angeles. We did it in Florida. Um, and everywhere we turned out those voters, we saw victory. And so I think we're approaching an era where uh, maybe it's less about the party and more about us as a movement, you know, and our, our role and what we could do. Um, we, we might be more powerful than we than we uh, think. Well, I think you've covered how um, getting out of the vote was was crucial, especially to newer voters uh, and then people in underserved communities. But how do you think the GVP movement um, shaped those outcomes? Yeah, um, you know, I can only speak to maybe two efforts. So with the leg justice and we, we worked with the Brady Pack um, with Brady and um, what we really tried to do is make sure that the voters who have been directly impacted by violence or at least are close to acts of violence really were able to see the champions for who they were the way that we see them and that's something that's not an obvious thing you know um you do have folks like lucy mcbath that their entire story is connected to gun violence but folks like stephen horsford who is a very dynamic candidate um, a lot of folks don't know that his father was shot and killed when he was 19. And that's a huge thing that he's championed. So um, so I think the things that we've done is even through mailers, we even did billboards, we did digital ads, just showing that the gun violence movement sees these individuals as champions. And if this is an issue you care about, you know, stand with the groups that you already trust, which is, you know, which are our organizations that are fighting to address gun violence. And I think we have to do more of that. You know, as a movement, we are very aggressive at holding people accountable, which is right. And we, we swing the stick a lot, you know, we see people not taking action. Um, but I think the more we can celebrate and fight for our champions, the more it inspires other candidates to do more. And we're already starting to see that, you know, in Delaware, uh, Representative Lisa Blunt Rochester, who has always been a champion, is now becoming a huge vocal champion, you know, for this work. Um, same thing for Sheila Jackson Lee in Texas. Um, and I think that the more that we can show that we have political power, the more we can embolden them to be more loud and proud about their activism and support for this issue. Um, and I think that's something that the climate world has done, you know, uh, the quality world has done, and it's something that the gun violence world can do more of. Great. Tell us a little bit about the goals, the goals that you have for the um, duck session and then the new session coming up. Yeah. So for, for black and brown communities, what we've learned is that, unfortunately, a lot of our communities are already saturated with firearms. And it's not something that you can sentence your way through or police your way through. We really have to figure out how do we help people who have been traumatized and really make behavioral shifts. Um, but the good side of it is that there are programs that are very effective at doing this, um, whether it's hospital-based violence intervention that works with someone who's lost someone or been injured, victim services that can support people in their time of loss 
or their time of pain. Um, street intervention that can work in communities to de-escalate conflicts before they become fatal. Um, and then even cognitive behavioral therapy programs like Advanced Peace that work directly with at-risk individuals and helps them make behavioral shifts to switch their lifestyle outside of that behavior. And these programs are you know, commonly known as community violence intervention programs, um, but there's a, a, a ton of different subcategories. But what we do know is that they're mostly effective. Um, some of them have reduced violence upwards of 60% when implemented. And what we've also noticed is that these programs are not resourced um, and not invested in. And so a huge priority for us is to fight for resources and funding. Um, we met with the Biden administration the first day after their inauguration to really put this on their table and make sure this was a priority. Um, and since that day, we started advocating federally, there was only $16 million for community violence intervention programs uh, at the federal level. Now there's about $14 billion available. So we have fought like hell. I don't know if I can curse in this podcast. I would. But we fought, fought like hell to, to, to increase those resources through Congress, through executive action, and through just um, policy changes and agencies. Um, but but that's $14 billion is, is nice, but it's really a drop in the bucket because we know the cost of violence in America is $557 billion. Um, and we also know that we're, we're putting, uh, at this point, almost trillions of dollars into other similar public health crises, like the opioid crisis, like COVID crisis, frankly. Um, and when you look at gun violence and opioids, for example, we're losing the same amount of lives and the, and the trauma is just as deep and wide but the response and the resources are not equitable. So a big thing we're fighting for is more resources. In the lame duck, um, we have, we're fighting for 250 million to be added to these strategies uh, for fiscal year 2023 in the Department of Justice and CDC. We're also fighting for increases in funding for research um, to address gun violence because it is the least researched cause of death out of the top 30 um, at the federal level, the least research. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, oh, oh gosh, I wish y'all would just please look into that. Google how much dollars of research are going to gun violence versus uh, sepsis or tetanus or HIV or other major health crises that we know our communities are suffering from. Uh, and you'll see a huge discrepancy. Uh, but we're also pushing for um, our, our baby bill, our, our major bill that we've been fighting for for a long time. Um, called the Break the Cycle of Violence Act that was sponsored by Senator Cory Booker and Representative Stephen Horsford. Uh, we've got it through the House this fall. Um, we've gotten every Democrat in the Senate to, to publicly say they support this bill, um, but we need bipartisan support to get it done. And this bill will add $5 billion to violence intervention programs, but will also create an Office of Violence Prevention focused on community violence in the CDC. And it will create a uh, technical assistance center for programs and community groups across the country that are working to develop these strategies in their community. So it will create infrastructure to support these programs, but also um, add some really life-saving resources. Um, the last major thing is there are a lot of, um, frankly, like policy reforms that need to happen to make sure that areas like victim services are more equitable for people who have been impacted by violence. In the state of New York, we found that only 4% of those who have been injured or shot or lost someone to gun violence have been able to take advantage of the Crime Victims Compensation Fund, only 4%. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done to refine some of the existing 
programs and resources that have been designed to help people who are suffering uh, from gun violence. So we're going to focus on that lame duck. And then if it doesn't come together, <laughs> then day one of next session, uh, we will be knocking on their doors. And some of those folks we're meeting with now um, to make sure that we're priming them, uh, even from a bipartisan approach to, to start to uh, invest and support these life-saving strategies. Great. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I was able to, uh, you know, take advantage of a victim's compensation fund in California. And I learned then that New York and California were the prominent states who really had these programs. I, it's life-changing. Sure. I, all of this is uh, um, absolutely great information for everyone. What, what would you uh, tell our listeners a way to look more into uh, CJF? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, follow us on social media. Um, that's a pretty easy one, <laughs> easy lift. Um, but we're at uh, CJ Action Fund. Um, we also have some really amazing reports that I would love for you all to check out. Um, our biggest one is our City Violence uh, Prevention Index Report. And in this report, we look at the top 50 cities most impacted by violence. And we break down how the government is investing in strategies to reduce violence beyond policing. And the findings are very, uh, uh, let's just say they're very interesting. Um, and so I encourage you to look at that and, and really uh, explore how your communities and how your cities are stepping up to address violence um, beyond just the, the typical gun control measures. Um, and then our website is uh, www.cjactionfund.org. Um, and we would love your help. I mean, we are, we are a mighty organization um, but we're also small, so we definitely will take donations. Uh, we will take uh, follows. We would love for you to volunteer. We have an action center online where you can start to call your member of Congress uh, and put pressure on them to help us get this Break the Cycle of Violence Act uh, passed. And, uh, and yeah, and most importantly, just reach out and get involved. We do have coalitions um, in states across the country. And so you can also volunteer and work alongside us. So please feel free to reach out. Great. Thank you so much. Um, it's always it's always one of those things where you want to hear more um, on the of what's what our progress has been, and you've really been a great voice for us uh, since Gag has joined this movement. And uh, I've always kind of relied on you to be very um, straightforward, concise, and um, motivating. So thank you for for sharing that with all of our listeners. Yeah. And if I can, I mean, I just think it's important for everyone to know that, you know, gun violence is such a huge, complex crisis um, and something that I think a lot of us have suffered and struggled with for years. You know, I was shot in 2013, so I've been advocating almost 10 years in this space. Um, and for a long time, we were seeing no progress. We were just banging our head against the wall, frankly. Um, but the last two and a half years, we've seen a ton of progress. And it's hard to embrace that sometimes, especially when there's so much pain and loss. Um, but we are in a winning season when it comes to policy and change. And there's a lot of momentum across the country. And so it's important that no matter how exhausted or tired or frustrated you have been or we have been, uh, that we have to lean into this moment and get as much accomplished as possible because we don't know when this door will close. And, and right now we know our communities are depending on us. So um, thank you again to Gag and, and everyone who's listening. Um, but just know that this is this is a moment to really, really lean in and just optimize every single um, change that we want to see for a long time. 
Awesome. Thanks for being with us today, Greg Jackson, Executive Director of Community Justice Action Fund, Ty Kersley, and I'm Sarah Lilly for WBAI. Thanks again, Greg. All right. Thank you all. Have a good one. All right. So you can find uh, Greg Jackson and the Community Justice Action Fund on social media. Uh, you can donate. Uh, this is Giving Tuesday. So please do that. And you can find out more about their work really helping communities. This is, this is where uh, the pedal meets the metal. And the work that they do in the communities is really effective in reducing gun violence. So you can also check out Greg Jackson on the work of community justice on our podcast. And be sure to find Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show on your favorite podcast platform. Gun violence is a complex problem in our country. The reasons behind our, country, our current crisis are many. But if we look at history, the history of the Second Amendment and the American right to bear arms, we have to face some difficult truths. We're going to share a short clip from an interview Sarah and Jay Walker did with Professor Carol Anderson, author of The Second Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America. This clip is just a taste, but you can listen to Out FM this evening at 8 p.m. on WBAI to hear more of this explosive interview. And don't forget to visit our radio gag, the Gaze Against Gun Show podcast, for our full interview of her powerful message. So here's Sarah and J.W. Walker. I wonder if you have time to comment on the issue of gun violence and um, did you feel that it impacted this uh, recent election and, and our direction going forward? I think that um, the issue of gun violence in America is that it becomes, it becomes so racialized so that you hear about all of this black on black crime. But what you don't hear is about white on white crime, because again, we need the narrative of black pathology, the narrative of black violence. Over 80% of African-Americans are killed by African-Americans. Over 80% of whites are killed by whites. But you don't hear about white on white crime. Why? Um, because there's political gold in the issue of crime and targeting it. So let me back up. So think about Uvalde and that horrible massacre down in Texas at, at Robb Elementary School. One of the first things out of Greg Abbott's mouth, the, the governor, was, well, you know, all of this gun control doesn't work because just look at Chicago. They kill more folks there than we have killed, you know, on a weekend than we have killed in our schools. Chicago? So Chicago becomes like the dog whistle for black on black crime. And it's the way that you subvert issues about gun safety laws. And we had, and so we did have a major gun safety legislation, the first in 30 years passed. But notice that what it didn't deal with were semi-automatic weapons. We didn't have the, the, the banning of semi-automatic weapons. And remember, a semi-automatic weapon was what was used in the slaughter in Buffalo. 
where um, he went hunting for black people under the great replacement theory. Mm -hmm. So gun violence is prominent in the United States. I argue that we don't deal with it because of the power of anti-blackness, because we see black as the default threat, as the preeminent threat. So we're willing to have guns flood our communities and we're willing to be unsafe in our schools and have our children do shooter drills. We're willing to be unsafe in our grocery stores. We're willing to be unsafe in our churches, in our synagogues, um, in our mosque. We're willing to be unsafe um, at our workplaces. We're willing to be unsafe on the road. We're willing to be unsafe in our recreational facilities as long as we can get our guns. And so I'm going to close with a study done by Jonathan Metzl, who wrote Dying of Whiteness. And he did a study where folks who in rural Missouri, uh, whites who had experienced gun violence in their families, um, and they were in a support group and they're talking. And so the issue of gun safety laws came up and they were like, oh, absolutely not because those people from St. Louis will come down here and try to take everything that we have. Our guns are the only things that protect us. We will be basically left defenseless. And when I heard that, what I heard was George Mason and Patrick Henry Mm -hmm. at the ratification convention in Virginia talking about if we don't have our guns in our militia, we will be left defenseless. Same old story, same old song and dance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So powerful, Professor Anderson. <laughs> and I know that the WBII listeners are all loving what they're hearing, too. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Yeah. She's great. That's great. Yeah. And uh, and w- if you listen, when you listen tonight on uh, Out FM at 8 p.m., you will hear much more about Patrick Henry and George Mason. And then, of course, let's not forget that I'm a former teacher. Um, you got to get her book, The Second, Race and Guns in the Fatally Unequal America, uh, because her research is, is just so good. And when you go back and you look at the sources that she cites... You're going to shake your head. What happened to all these patriots? Um, Well, they weren't really there. They were really defending some uh, very indefensible uh, racism, um, plantation, economy, really. It's great, and I'm glad we're able to share that story um, later on tonight, too. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at gazeagainstgunsny on Facebook and Instagram or gag no guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about actions. Sign up for info about meetings and actions at gagsignup at gmail.com. Remember, all are welcome to come to gag meetings. We need you, though, at the National Vigil in D.C. Please be an HB at the D.C. Vigil. You'll dress in white and carry a poster of someone who has died from gun violence. We have a bus leaving 9 a.m. December 7th from the LGBTQ Center. More info is available at Gays Against Guns NY on Instagram and Facebook or Gagno Guns on Twitter. No. Yeah. What you just heard was silence. The silence of no WBAI and no radio gag. <laughs>
That's what it sounds like without your donation. And if you value what you are hearing, give to WBAI. The best way to get involved is by becoming a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. A BAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. And really, just a modest monthly contribution can help keep us on the air here at WBAI. So go to WBAI.org, scroll down to that BAI buddy button, or call 212-209-2950 and become a buddy in the name of Radio Gag. And thank you. Well, it's time to end our show. Don't forget, you can listen to our preview shows anytime on the WBAI website or any major podcast platform where we may have extra interviews and additional news for you. Yeah. And we leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Have a great and safe day. <laughs> well, thank you, Wait. Nice. If we could break your lobby, cause no, not every lobby knows how to lobby like you. No, and you never think twice before you take our dreams away. Well, we say the NRA and all the cash you blew. Oh, yeah, you bought up Congress for 20 million and then the White House 30 million more. Well, you can spend your heart out a billion, zillion. We don't care about your money. We are showing you the door. Because we got to have faith. We got to have faith. Oh, yeah, we got to have faith, the faith, the faith. We got to have faith, the faith, the faith. Baby, we won't go back to yesterday. So please, 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 sashay away. You are giving us the blues. Maybe we're gonna break the money chain Then we won't have to feel the pain Of another day loaded down with a lot of bad news Just watch this river become an ocean Listen, do you hear that mighty roar? Yeah, baby, we'll keep resisting your evil oceans We have had it up to here and we are showing not one more Cause you gotta have faith We gotta have faith Oh yeah, we gotta have faith The faith, the faith We gotta have faith The faith, the faith, the faith ah.